but we are in a broken model and the victims are the taxpayers the victims uh the victims are our patients the victims are the providers um the victims are people who like choice in healthcare people who like to have relationships with their healthcare providers everybody's a victim in this scenario except for those people in the middle that are extracting uh, far more dollars than the value they provide. Since March 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been developing content monthly, weekly, and daily for the business of pharmacy. With more than 25 different podcast channels, more than 1 million downloads, and 30-plus participating pharmacists, the Pharmacy Podcast Network is the global leader in podcasting for the pharmacy professional. Find all of our podcast channels by going to pharmacypodcast.com forward slash shows. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system which supports our independent and community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host and founder of the Pharmacy Podcast, Todd Yuri, and we're coming back to the PBM Reform Podcast Series, which has been tremendously popular. I want to give a shout out to our listeners for all of your feedback, all of the tweets, all of the emails I receive, some of the questions that we've received. We are going to do an episode involving you, the listener. So be on the lookout for an invitation to get involved with the PBM Reform podcast series. This is really bringing to light where we are as an industry, as a pharmacy um, association, all in one together, regardless of your setting. How are the PBMs impacting you your careers, the ownership of your pharmacy, and most important, how this is impacting patients. The tax dollars that they spend, the tax dollars that we all spend, and the care that they're receiving, including those rural pharmacies who are closing because they can't stay in business because of the way that the PBMs work, which is the most you know, frustrating part for me as a fan of pharmacy and an advocate. We've had Antonio, uh, Antonio Chacha on the line with three access advisors blowing open uh, the data that was uh, accumulated in the state of Florida Medicaid system. We've talked with Mary Ellen Jones, who is uh, working for Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania State Teachers Associations and Unions. We have talked with the executive director of the Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, Monique Whitney, and we've talked with Ann Cassidy, vice president of, uh, of federal and state government affairs with the National Community Pharmacists Association. Today is no different. We're bringing some power people to this conversation to really lay down what needs to happen to really have a reform? There's so many pieces of this Rubik's Cube puzzle that we're dealing with. However, I think we can get there. I'm confident that we can get there as an industry. 
making an impact, ultimately affecting our patient. I'd like to welcome Scott Pace. He's a PharmD and lawyer, um, and he is also with Impact Management. You can find more information about that at impactmanagement.com. But Scott, welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast in this series. Thank you so much, Todd. It's great to be with you today. So give us just a short background on yourself and, and what role you play within uh, the pharmacy industry and also your very intimate experience uh, with pharmacy operations and ownership. Well, sure. Um, I'll start off by just telling you I've been a, a pharmacist for uh, 19 years now and uh, a lawyer for about 10. Uh, and I started my pharmacy career um, working in independent pharmacy as a delivery driver um, until 25, 26 years ago now uh, when I was in college, um, knew, knew that there was something special about the community pharmacy sector and really wanted to be an active part of it. Uh, so I went to pharmacy school, got involved with the organizations in school that, uh, that, that you do to get, uh, get, get plugged in with, uh, with your colleagues. Uh, and it really led me to getting involved in the, in the policy issues in the profession. And after I graduated, I uh, moved to Washington, D.C. and uh, did a a residency with the National Community Pharmacist Association, and really started getting exposed to many of the issues that uh, that were important to our profession. Uh, and then came back to Arkansas and began working for the Arkansas Pharmacist Association, and was was with them for a dozen years as uh, chief operating officer and then CEO. Where during that twelve year period, uh, we we dealt with a myriad of PBM issues, as you can imagine. Uh, prop pay, uh, audit, um, MAC legislation, uh, which is the legislation that is sitting in front of the Supreme Court right now, which we can talk about if you'd like, uh, clawback legislation, and then a couple of years ago, having a, a special legislative session to deal with uh, PBM licensure after dramatic uh, reductions in reimbursement at the beginning of 2018 in Arkansas. So uh, my hands have been uh, all in the middle of that from a policy and legislative side of things, but, but my wife and I also bought a an independent pharmacy in 2013, and uh, um, my wife's a pharmacist and is a, a phenomenal operator of our store. Uh, and uh, we we get to, you know, scratch our heads and sometimes beat them against the wall, just like everybody else when it comes to the operational aspects of a community pharmacy. But we get up and do it every day because uh, it's something we believe in, and our patients depend on us, and our communities need us, and it makes the fight uh, worth worth fighting. I think it's probably a view shared by. Uh, everybody that's listening is that uh, you know if, if it wasn't for our patients and the feeling that we do good, um, sometimes the fight is uh, a little overwhelming. But that's that's why we do it. Uh, so and today, uh, you know, I'm I'm a partner with a, a group called Impact Management Group uh, in Little Rock. We're a we're a government relations firm that deals with uh, any issue that you can possibly imagine. I spend a lot of time working on healthcare issues, um, and uh, so I get to continue my advocacy effort for. Uh, for pharmacy uh, and other clients in a, in a little different way. And it's been a lot of fun to uh, to expand the reach and to be able to talk about community pharmacies message uh, beyond beyond uh, the pharmacy circle. So it's been, it's been a great experience. I'm enjoying it greatly and happy to be with you today to talk about uh, my experiences with PBMs over the last 19 years. Well, that's great. What a pedigree of the pharmacy industry that you have and continue to have the the intimacy with you in that marketplace. Uh, I can't I couldn't have a a better guest on talking about how this is impacting you as a pharmacy owner. But as I've said in our introduction, the the importance of 
of who's in the crosshairs that this is affecting the most is truly the patients. And there are other organizations out there who want to cover up how that is impacting patients. But we're finding out, even through the the New York Times article that came out, where pharmacists are expected to produce um, unrealistic levels of production in, in causing them to possibly have harm come to the public based on not being able to do the job that they're expected to do from metrics and how that's really tied back to this payment model that, that we currently have that has crept up over the years and been created into something it should never have become, which is all about, um, in my opinion, the, the PBM's profits rather than using a pharmacy benefit manager to do what it was expected to do in the uh, inception of of the formulation of, of PBMs back in the 80s. And it's so far from where it began, Scott. Um, and, I, and I was excited to have you come on because of your Arkansas state uh, background in being able to comment on what Arkansas has done uh, in that Medicaid systems to combat um, the, the need um, to, to, to battle for change, per se, of how the PBMs work today. Um, and I'm thinking of the um, the Eighth Circuit agreed with lower courts that Arkansas's law in one in Iowa, they say, uh, ran afoul of federal law and struck them down. But the Arkansas Attorney General, uh, Leslie Rutledge, um, you know, is, is working, continuing to work on this. And that was exciting because that's been um, that's been another state just like Ohio and just like Florida currently that is working on true reform. So. I just wanted to hear on what's happened so far, but then where we are today and, and, and what the next steps are. Well, you, you hit on several other states besides Arkansas that are doing good work. And I just want to, uh, as a former state executive, want to make sure that I give a quick shout out to all the other state executives in the other states. There, there's not a state in this country that hasn't taken uh, a swing at figuring out uh, how to address the, the, the PBM issues that we're having. Some have been more successful than others, but they're all out there fighting. And I think that's a, that's an important thing for pharmacists to realize. Um, you know, you mentioned the Supreme court case. I want, let's talk briefly about that before we dig into some yes. of these other issues. Uh, it's cause it's extraordinarily topical. Um, the, the oral arguments for that case have been, um, um, pushed back now to the week of April 27th. Uh, so they've been kind of punted a week, but, uh, that's when that's when they'll be scheduled, and it's a really important case. It actually stems from a law that we passed in Arkansas in 2015 that related to maximum allowable costs. Um, we all know how max have been uh, a problem because they're illusory, right? The the PBMs get to make them up at their own discretion and uh, haven't really had good appeals processes and ways to make sure the pharmacies aren't being paid below cost. Um, so that that's what our law was attempting to deal with in 2015, but but there were several other provisions in that law that don't get talked about very much. Uh, there is a provision in there that gives the pharmacist the ability to refuse to fill a prescription if it's paid below their cost, um, which, as you can imagine, is something that pharmacists don't like to do. We like to take care of people, not turn them away. Uh, but we also have to be business minded and not, um, you know, hemorrhage dollars just because um, someone says we're contractually obligated to, to bleed to bleed money. And so we put a provision in to uh, allow pharmacists to say no, basically. Um, we also put a provision in that didn't, that just doesn't get talked about at all. And I think it's probably one of the most important provisions of 
of that 2015 law that says that if you are a pharmacy benefit manager and you have ownership directly or indirectly in a, a pharmacy, retail or mail order, you can't pay yourself more than you pay your network pharmacies. So there's a provision in that law that prevents those, those PBMs from self-dealing at the expense of their other network pharmacies. A big, a big provision, I think, that uh, other states ought to take a look at. Um, and so, you know, that sits before the Supreme Court right now. And as you mentioned from the kind of the procedural history, um, that case started in the Eastern District of, of Arkansas. Um, uh, we, we won uh, at the Eastern District, which is kind of the trial court level in the federal court system. Uh, we won on every claim except for Medicare preemption at the, uh, excuse me, we won on every claim except for the ERISA issue at the district court level. Um, so as we left the district court in 2016, um, the, the law applied to Medicare, uh, the law applied to fully insured uh, health plans, uh, and it was struck down as to the self-insured ERISA employer-based health plans. So our Attorney General, Leslie Rutledge, appealed up to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals that ERISA decision because they felt like um, that the district court got it wrong. Uh, the district court relied on some precedent out of um, the Eighth Circuit, which involved the Iowa case, the Gerhardt case. Um, but it wasn't necessarily analogous to, um, to our case at hand, and so they appealed it up to the Eighth Circuit. Uh, the Eighth Circuit um, ultimately um, uh, upheld the decision of the district court and ruled that uh, ERISA um, preempted the state law. So it meant that the self-insured plans wouldn't be affected by our state law. And they also, the P PCMA, the Trade Association for the PBMs, uh, appealed the Medicare Part D decision, um, which uh, the, the district court level said uh, didn't wasn't preempted. Uh, the Eighth Circuit overturned that decision and said Medicare was also preempted. So as we left the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals after a decision in, in June of 2018, um, that law was ultimately struck down as to everything except for fully insured health plans, which was, was a blow. And uh, Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, and I give her and her staff, uh, Sean Johnson, who's her, her lead health care counsel, a ton of credit um, uh, for recognizing that they thought the Eighth Circuit erred in their decision and continuing to pursue um, uh, the statute that was passed by the legislature. So they, they filed a petition for certiorari to uh, the Supreme Court, as you all know, and the court granted uh, cert, which means uh, it'll be one of about 80 cases that the court hears this term. Uh, and uh, the implications are big. There's a single question presented, uh, which is a kind of a legal jargon for uh, how, how you ask the court to uh, answer your dispute. There's a single question presented, which basically uh, is whether or not ERISA preempts states from setting the rates that pharmacists are paid for their products. And so um, that is the question that we, uh, I'm summarizing that, of course, but that's the question that we anticipate the Supreme Court answering uh, sometime later this year. And we feel very good that, uh, that they're going to say, ERISA does not preempt states from uh, setting setting rates for uh, professional services uh, such as as pharmacist services. Uh, there's there's good case law that supports that um, uh, going in into this case, and we uh, we feel good that we're going to have some good uh, pharmacy precedent that comes out. So it's pretty big. It will 
it will, uh, uh, if the decision comes out like we expect it to, it means that those self-insured plans will um, be subject to uh, the states being able to, to set rates, uh, which is uh, a big, big win, not just for pharmacy, but for physicians and hospitals and everybody else in, else in the, in the uh, uh, healthcare space who have been told at the legislature, um, hey, you can't do this because ERISA preempts it. Uh, we're, we're about to find out if that's a true statement or not. So how do we accelerate this, Scott, in your opinion? How, how do we take the, the small wins from state to state and go to whatever national association has to carry that torch? We've worked with the NCPA. We've heard from the APHA, uh, which um, I think needs to be more aggressive. And I think things are changing with uh, even their leadership that, that can, in fact, be a little bit more aggressive. And the reason why I say that is because in the interim, while we wait for true reform for pharmacy benefit managers, um, patients are, are not able to pay for their medications. Uh, community pharmacies are having to close. Um, there's, you know, there's so much still happening in the status quo. How do you, how do you as a part of this solution... Uh, deliver to the listeners right now, many of them pharmacy owners, a, a life preserver to float until we uh, we we come to shore. Uh, the in the shore being the new way of of doing business as pharmacists, as pharmacy owners, uh, hospital systems. Even we heard about Publix in Florida suffering um, great losses in their pharmacy. Um, business and and how that impacts the community. So, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, let's let's hit what the last point you made first about Publix. I think one one of the things that uh, um, the PBM issue has really brought to light for me professionally over the last number of years <clears throat> is uh, just how similar we are with our uh, perceived competitors in the community pharmacy space. I mean, very very oftentimes. Uh, we think of the, the pharmacy on the corner, whether it's an independent or chain, as a as an arch competitor. Um, but when it comes to the PBM issue, um, I, I feel like the vast majority of pharmacies are in the exact same boat, dealing with the same um, realities of what is happening in the in the PBM marketplace. So whether it's a large chain like Publix, uh, we've seen contract disputes just last year between Walmart and CVS Caremark. Uh, we've seen contract disputes between uh, Express Scripts and, and Walgreens in recent years. I mean, uh, and then of course we we see you know independence drop from 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 some networks uh, in recent years as well. So you know, I, to me, there's a little bit of comfort that that there is um, uh, our competitors are experiencing the same thing, which means there's an opportunity to be more cohesive with the people that sometimes we. Uh, have a natural tendency to not be cohesive with. And I think that's important in a fight like this to build coalitions of people that are interested in the same outcome, which is more transparency, a fairer payment model, and the ability to take care of our patients without some uh, unseen, unknown middlemen uh, dictating their care. And it's not just us in the pharmacy community that want that. We're seeing the physician community start to stand up and say, hey, We've got these these you know uh, the man behind the curtain so to speak um, that are 
that are dictating how they practice medicine. They're dictating how we practice pharmacy. Uh, and we've got to reclaim that. So, so that, that's the first thing I'd say is we've got to recognize that there are more people in this boat um, than, than we might realize. And perceived competitors are really our allies um, in, in this because we're, in, we're all in that same uh, boat. And I'll tell you in Arkansas, for example, um, but before Fred's, you know, sold a lot of their stores as they had some financial difficulty. Fred's was one of our bigger um, <clears throat> assistants in helping us to evaluate what was happening from a data standpoint in Arkansas. Uh, Harps Foods, uh, which is a grocery store chain uh, in northwestern Arkansas and parts of Oklahoma, has always been a big advocate uh, and, and assistant uh, in, in these PBM, uh, provided assistance in these PBM issues. So, uh, the, Competitors uh, know more in my head. They are they are uh, advocates and allies in the fight uh, that we're that we're fighting. So so there's there's that little kind of uh, ramble. Now, t t t how do we deal with it? Uh, is 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 this is really twofold in my mind? Uh, I think legislative solutions are, uh, is the first thing that comes to mind for everybody. And so I will I'll, I'll give a, a plug for whatever state you're in. If you're not part of your state pharmacy association, um, what's what's keeping you from it? Uh, right. If you've got an old grudge with somebody that was was the executive director, let it go. <laughs> right. uh, they're trying to do uh, whatever work um, that they can at your state level to advance the profession in a very challenging environment. So um, this is the time that you dig deeper. Uh, you put any past conflicts aside, if you've had any, because you, you hear those over the years in these different state organizations, and you try to get behind a singular voice in your state uh, to be as strong as possible give money to candidates, give money to political action committees that support your, your issues like your, your pharmacy packs uh, and make sure that you can be as strong as possible because uh, I'm a big supporter of national organizations, but I will tell you that change happens at the state level far faster than it will ever, ever happen in Washington, DC, whether it's Republicans or Democrats that control Congress or the white house. So let the States be laboratories of innovation and do what they do and, and make change happen at your state level. That's where you're going to see the quickest and most significant um, advancements in, in pharmacy, whether it's professional issues or PBM issues. Doesn't mean there's not going to be challenges along the way. Doesn't mean you're going to win everything. And it doesn't mean that, uh, um, uh, that there's not going to be legal challenges that follow. That's part of the process. Um, I think we've, we've fallen into a, a thought that there's a silver bullet that exists legislatively and it will solve all of our woes. Um, that's just not reality. Uh, the reality is, is that, you know, you, well, what's the old state saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? That's kind of what it is with the political process. It's called a process for a reason um, because sometimes it does take time. And when you're in an environment, in an, in an environment that you don't feel like you have much time left, the urgency gets greater, which is why you have to step up and, and support those local champions uh, that much more. So th those legislative solutions have to be first on the, on the, on the agenda. But I got to tell you from a, from an owner operator perspective, your business solutions are just as important, if not more important. Uh, you know, um, I've, I've taken the tact in our pharmacy and my wife has as well. Um, whenever we lose money on a claim, uh, my first inclination used to be to, shake my fist at my computer screen and to uh, say, you got to be kidding me. Um, but I, we've changed our tact on that because um, while most of the time I feel like these under reimbursed claims are, are, are uh, the PBM's fault. 
Um, I've taken the perspective of going, you know, what if it's my fault? What if I bought this poorly? Uh, because that does happen sometimes. As we all know, there's, there are products that, that uh, unbeknownst to us, we, we buy at a, at, a, at a bad price compared to what else is out there in the marketplace. So I've changed our perspective, our, our you know, outlook. Whenever we fill a claim, if we lose the money on it, my initial reaction is to blame myself until I have a reason not to. And I do that because that's a business solution that I can have some control over. So I will look and say, okay, I lost $15 on this script. Now I'm going to the secondary market and I'm going to see exactly how low I can buy that product for to see if I can mitigate the loss on this so it doesn't happen the next time I fill the prescription. And if I can do that, um, that's what I do. And, and I take the blame myself. If I can't do it, then that's when I'll follow a Mac appeal. That's when I'll report uh, a claim to the insurance commissioner. If, if there's been a law that's been violated, that's when, if I have to, I'll turn a patient away, which I hate doing. Uh, but finding those business solutions are important because I think that we get so comfortable in our operations of doing things the same way day after day after day that we get tired and we get beat down and we stop looking for what we could do better. And I've got to tell you that the minute you stop looking for what you could do better, even if you've been in that pharmacy for 30 years and thinking you're doing everything perfect is the moment that, that the wheels start falling off. So you've always got to start looking at yourself and figuring out how can I revitalize my front end? How can I offer services that uh, I haven't offered before that have value? We started offer, offering point of care testing uh, in our pharmacy uh, a couple of years ago, uh, which frankly, I was a little leery of. I didn't know if people would really come and let us do flu test or rapid strep test in our pharmacy, let alone would they pay cash for it because no insurance pays uh, a pharmacy in Arkansas to do those services. And you know what? Um, it's been a bad flu season the last couple of years, and we can't uh, do enough uh, flu tests in our in our pharmacy. People know we can't prescribe right now, uh, but they still want to know if uh, if they're positive or negative, so they can go go about their their day and get the appropriate treatment if if they're positive. And so, you know, those services, those those business solutions that add a little extra money to the bottom line, most importantly, that provide a, a good service for the patients. Uh, that endear them to you because when they're when when they're not just your patient in those situations, they become your advocate too. And in 2018 in Arkansas, when we had such a big PBM crisis and reimbursements fell through the floors, and it was uh, an, it was a true sky is falling moment. I know sometimes we we say the sky is falling, and it may not be as as gloom and doom, but it was a sky is falling moment in 2018, and our patients stepped up and were advocates. Uh, for pharmacy in a way that, that, that I've never seen before. And it was heartwarming and it was also impactful to the political uh, process. So uh, I'm getting a little off track just, just no. chatting about that, Todd, but I, I, I do think it's so important. Know who your allies are and make that boat bigger. Work towards legislative solutions and don't forget to look for the business solutions, guys, because that is where you at any given point in time can regain control of a business model that sometimes feels like you don't have any control. So don't forget to exercise that, that business solution and use, use that knowledge in your head. It, it, it will pay off. I promise. Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe in the new uh, generation of pharmacy owners that are doing that are aggressive at marketing uh, immunization services. They're showing up at 
larger employers and actually going to the the nurse office there or the commissary per se and, and actually issuing uh, flu shots for those that want them and uh, going to school districts directly, um, pharmacogenomic testing. I mean, there's so many creative things that I've seen aggressive pharmacy owners do to not only build additional value in your community pharmacy, but also create new revenue streams um, while we wait for this true reform to take place. Um, you know, I, I've i also had a technology background, Scott, and I've worked with switching companies like uh, Relay Health or Change Healthcare or FDS. Uh, there's another one called NetRx. And my scratch of the head based on um, X3 Access Advisors digging into that data in Florida, that data is everywhere. Right now, as you and I speak, there are claims, uh, f- millions and millions of claims throwing, flowing through these switching organizations. There is no reason that there isn't an algorithm in all of those, which is mandatory, which is part of federal-level uh, Medicaid system reform that I want to see in place that tracks anything at a loss to be able to go back to find out why it is at a loss based on the current MAC pricing, based on the tables set for correctly pricing a medication, and just as you can do on an eBay environment that's been around for, what, 15 years now, you can see where that drug was dispensed that same day, maybe in a different uh, state, and what what price it was to be able to even out uh, the tax-funded Medicaid systems. And so I, I, I'm a head-scratcher because I know what's available to the powers that be to regulate and monitor uh, prescription costs for, for the public at large. And it, it, it really makes me wonder why they haven't implemented such tools uh, in a live environment to be able to see exactly when there's a loss and why there was a loss, which will trail back to, I guarantee it, will trail back to uh, the PBMs involved. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating question. Let's talk about uh, Antonio's uh, uh, work with Reaccess in, in Florida first. I mean, so that report that came out a week and a half or so ago, yeah, if I best number I can remember is that it, it, it did an analysis of about 300 million uh, prescription claims. Right. Uh, and, and to your point, the data is out there. And <clears throat> what I also think is important is what the data showed and, and what it what it didn't show, right? I mean, so it started to show that they're potentially, the PBMs are, are changing their business practice. Spread was was not as pervasive uh, as as uh, we've seen in in other in other states. So, for example, in Arkansas in 2018, uh, we we did an analysis of claims in our Medicaid expansion population as pharmacy reimbursements fell through the floor at the beginning of 2018. Uh, we tried to figure out why, and we started reconciling claims with um, with patient explanation of benefits versus what the pharmacies were paid, and found that. The PBMs were creating a spread of over twenty dollars per prescription um, for their own profit, um, uh, while pharmacies were, you know, losing money on virtually every prescription they were filling at the beginning of twenty eighteen. So, spread was one of their big, big, big revenue sources, and now that it's become 
so out in the open that that business practice is happening. Um, I think they're starting to uh, tweak their model, which means that we've got to keep our eyes open for exactly what they're doing and why. And then, then I also think we've got to ask the question, why are the large health plans not as up in arms about this as we are as providers? Um, you know, some, sometimes the most obvious question is the one that doesn't get asked. But if, <laughs> right. if your large provider in your state has partnered with a large PBM and allowed spread to happen at that extent that I just mentioned, why is that? What are they benefiting from that? Or why are they willing to turn a blind eye to it? And, you know, we, we have a theory to that that we, uh, we started talking about in 2018 during Arkansas's PBM crisis. And it goes back to the, the concept of, of medical loss ratio. And it may not be a, a, a concept that is something that, that every listener is familiar with, but medical loss ratio is, is simply the percentage of, of premium dollars that are collected that are required either by contract or by statute, depending upon the type of plan, um, the percentage of premium dollars that are collected that are required to be paid to clinical claims. So for example, uh, let's say you collect $100 in premiums on the, Medic- Medicare ex- excuse me, the, the Medicaid expansion populations, those exchange populations, there's required to be uh, an 85% medical loss ratio. So on $100 of premium collected, the plans are required to spend $85 on paid clinical claims, and they can only keep $15 for administrative services. Well, one of our theories has been that the plans have been willing to uh, play, you know, that they don't care about spread because they've been able to figure out how to work the medical loss ratio scenario uh, to their advantage by not paying the PBMs a fee for their PBM services and allowing the PBMs to take their fee out of spread, thereby elevating what amount is paid as clinical claim in in terms of what is reported and allowing the the health plan to have more administrative dollars. So for example, and I know that's a little tough to follow, uh, without a, without a whiteboard and and, a, and an academic lecture here, but but for, <laughs> right. but for example, um, let's say let's use that hundred dollar example again, and let's say you had a, a a prescription. Let's use duloxetine for example, that was paid to the pharmacy at fifteen dollars. Well, the pharmacy got fifteen dollars. Let's say in that example. So in that hundred dollar premium example, that's only fifteen percent of the of the premium is paid on a clinical claim. So that, that's, you know, they've got more, more dollars than you spend on clinical claims. But when you look at the back end, and even though the pharmacy was paid 15 and you see the health plan was charged 75 or 90, let's say, let's say 90, they've created uh, $75 in spread, which the PBM is now pocketing as its administrative duty. And the health plan has met its medical loss ratio and still has extra dollars that it that it would have paid for the PBM services as administrative fees that they get to, you know, shift to other administrative fees. So uh, it's, it's not the, the best explanation of it there, but just know that the spread dollars have been used. Uh, uh, it's been theorized. They've been used to uh, manipulate the medical loss ratio. The other thing that we know is a fact is that <clears throat> centers for Medicare and Medicaid services allow 
entities that perform administrative services, so PBMs, to count their administrative fees as clinical fees if they also perform the clinical service. So, for example, if you have a PBM that owns its own mail order pharmacy, um, any administrative fee that's associated with a claim, if it's filled in their mail order pharmacy or if it's filled in a PBM's retail pharmacy, can go to count towards clinical claim instead of administrative service. So when we scratch our heads and wonder why these big health plans are sending patients to mandatory mail order or mandatory narrow networks that are owned by the PBM's pharmacies in a retail setting, it doesn't make any sense to us from a uh, competition standpoint, but it makes every sense if you put yourself in that healthcare executive's uh, scenario and they're trying to figure out how do they protect their administrative dollars at the health plan level. And the way to do that is to not spend as many administrative dollars on your subcontractors like your PBM. Let them count their um, their administrative dollars as a clinical service. It helps the health plan. It helps the, the PBM when they're scratching each other's back. So that concept of medical loss ratio is not getting enough scrutiny. And it's why I think that the big PBMs and the big health plans have such a connected relationship and you haven't seen the type of of revolt amongst the PBMs, excuse me, amongst the health plans that aren't connected to the big PBMs. I really appreciate that explanation because it helps to kind of clarify what steps have to be taken, uh, what policies need to be changed. The education that's needed to be delivered to our policymakers is still needed. I think anyone that reads that 300-page report um, from from the Sunshine State would you know would be confused a bit if you didn't really understand, even though it's laid out for you. So we can't expect you know our state representatives and senators to uh, take action unless they understand. And and that's number one. Number two. The other side of this is the PCMA uh, engine that's um, about protecting the the PBM's interests instead of the public's interests, which I think includes those uh, community uh, pharmacies, regardless if you're a chain or if you're a privately owned organization. We're not asking for anything other than fairness to be competitive. Um, we're, we're not asking for community independently owned pharmacies to be favored. We're asking for a model that we know works the same way for a, um, a CVS or a Walgreens or a Publix or Joe's Pharmacy uh, down the street or, or even the hospital system that, that may have an inpatient pharmacy. So. That's the clarification that I always like to make sure when people listen, because I have received comments from uh, the Twitter sphere that has been like, you know, why are you anti-PBM uh, or anti-capitalistic? And I'm not. I'm, I'm just a competitive, you know, fair competitive uh, pharmacy business uh, advocate that, that wants to see the patient be placed first and then have those service providers and pharmacy service providers and pharmacists um, be able to deliver the right therapies to help that, that patient live better. And that's it. That's the simplicity of it. I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that you know, those people on the Twitter sphere, Twitter sphere as, you, as you called it, um, that are making those snide comments, 
um, <clears throat> I think you, you almost have to respond back to them is how capitalistic uh, is it to restrict competition? Right. How, how, how capitalistic is it to have essentially monopolies in uh, the, the healthcare space? Um, maybe it's capitalistic for a middleman who doesn't ever see the patient, who doesn't ever buy a product, who doesn't ever perform any service besides running a, a claim electronically like Visa and MasterCard does whenever you use your credit card. Maybe it's capitalistic for them to extract as much money out of the system as humanly possible. Possible, But let, let, let's say this and let's say it emphatically. It is not moral. It's not moral for the people in the middle to extract more dollars out of the healthcare system than the value they provide. Yes. Okay. Amen. And, and, and if you can't say amen to that in the healthcare community, then there's something wrong. But right. the very, the very fact that they are in a position right now in an unregulated position in most States in an unoverseen position by the federal government, uh, in a completely, uh, position of control of healthcare trust and a lot of these self-insured plans, the, the very fact that they're in that position means that our system is broken. Yes. And I don't, I don't know how to say that any, any clearer, but we are in a broken model and the victims are the taxpayers, the victims, uh, the victims are our patients. The victims are the providers. Um, the victims are people who like choice in healthcare, people who like to have relationships with their healthcare providers. Everybody's a victim in this scenario, except for those people in the middle that are extracting uh, far more dollars than the value they provide. Right. Absolutely. Scott, we are excited that you got to participate in the PBM Reform Podcast Series, and thank you for these insights. I'd like you to let our listeners know if they wanted to reach out and connect with you, um, how, how best to do that. Uh, sure. Uh, I don't mind uh, taking uh, emails from, uh, from anybody. Uh, my email address is, is pace, P-A-C-E, at impactmanagement.com. I'm always happy to, uh, to hear from folks uh, with, with comments. Uh, you can also find me on, on Twitter, so don't hesitate to uh, direct, mail, uh, direct message me on, on Twitter. Um, and uh, excited to have a dialogue about the PBMs or pharmacy operations or uh, politics or anything that is uh, of interest uh, to your to your listeners. And just really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to be on today. We will put Scott's contact information that he mentioned in the show notes. So if you're driving or working out, don't worry about it. We will have that there. And Scott, we were excited to have you on. Uh, we look forward to uh, maybe connecting with you in the near future on other subjects in the business of pharmacy, but uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much, Todd. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network's PBM Reform Podcast Series. We were on with Dr. Scott Pace, who's uh, a pharmacy owner in the great state of, state of Arkansas. And we thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. 
PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001. Thank you.